Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. morning. Wow. There is a lot of green. This is, uh, this is exciting. I'm Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. We're, we're continuing a series that we've been in uh, the seven weeks leading up to Easter. We're, we're in the book of Exodus, uh, focusing on this, this idea of redemption, God redeeming people from slavery, ushering them into his presence, into freedom. So we're going to be uh, continuing that today. It's been a good series for me personally. It's just continued to bring up stuff, and I've had to continually rely on Jesus, which is always a good thing. If we ever preach a sermon series where in the end you don't need Jesus, you should leave quick, because that's scary. We need Jesus every day, and and I tried my best to tie this message into St. Patrick's Day, but I didn't get there. I think there might have been a way, but it would have been a little too cute, and you guys probably would have rolled your eyes. and So this has nothing to do with St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick, even though I hear he was a cool dude. Um, so at this point in this uh, series, in the book of Exodus, I hope that you are very aware of your brokenness. I am very aware of my brokenness. We've, we've listened to stories coming from the book of Exodus about shame about sin, about suffering, grumbling, idolatry. It's kind of been intense. And at this point, I, I hope that we're seeing some of that in us. We're seeing things in us that aren't, just aren't quite right. Because when things aren't right, we don't feel good about it, and we look for a Savior. We look for a way out. We look for someone to rescue us. So today, to this week, next week, um, as we finish this book of Exodus, we're, we're wanting to fix our eyes firmly on Jesus as our rescuer, as the one that's going to save us, as the one that's going to redeem us, set us free, heal us, all those great things. We want to set our, our focus on him because although we're very aware of our brokenness, very aware of where we fall short, very aware of things not being right, our only hope for any of that changing, our only hope for redemption rests only in the unchanging character of God who keeps all of his promises. The only hope that we have of changing is that God doesn't change. And he keeps every single one of his promises. At the start uh, of the book of Exodus, I told a story about playing baseball growing up. I'd stand at the plate after striking out three times that day, and my teammates trying to encourage me would, would yell this phrase, you know, as doing the best they could to encourage me. I'm standing there like, if I strike out, I'm, I'm going to go hide the rest of the day. And they're yelling, Mike, redeem yourself. Redeem yourself. Come on. And they're like believing in me. It's like, yeah, I'm going to redeem myself. So I have this kind of messed up idea still that I redeem myself, that I do something to get myself out of the mess. And I, that still comes into play, I think. And that's why today, especially, we want to turn from ourselves, from trusting in ourselves, that we redeem ourselves, that we fix ourselves, and look to the one who can, 
Look to the one who is redeeming us. And so we're going to be in the, the 34th chapter of the book of Exodus. Exodus comes right at the front of your Bible. It's the second book there. It's after that big book called Genesis. Chapter 34, so it's the big numbers. You're looking for the big 34. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's totally fine. We'll put some verses up on the screen so you can follow along. Um, and I kind of I want to outline the message for you guys ahead of time. Because I, I don't like being the only one knowing where we're going. And I don't want this to be like an Easter egg hunt. Like, I'm hiding these eggs, and I hope you find them. I want it to be like an Easter egg hunt like my dad used to do, where he'd hide them and then stand near them and be like, you know, <laughs> pointing. Like the really good hiding spots he really wanted us to find. So that, that's kind of what I want to do today. I'm not, I don't want to, like, you know, pull a fast one and really slip it in. Like, wow, did you see Mike? You really tricked us with that third point of the sermon. So... Our only hope does rest in Jesus. That is a fact. That is true. Our, our confidence is in him. And we, we're talking about the covenant today. That's kind of the overarching theme. If you have one of those booklets, um, we have a few extra at the connect table. It's not too late. You can pick one up. Um, you'll see in there that we are talking about covenant. So our only hope of change is Jesus. And we have been given in Jesus a new covenant. It's not like the old covenant, the former covenant, uh, the covenant that we hear uh, in the book of Exodus with Moses through, you know, that, that came from God to Abraham. We've been given a new covenant, and in that new covenant, there's certain uh, benefits, blessings that come in that new covenant. Benefits and blessings of forgiveness, of hope, a kingdom that God has given us, a family that God's given us in that new covenant. So we're going to We want to look to Jesus, the one that perfects us. We're going to realize that he's given us a new covenant. And in that comes forgiveness, hope, a family to be redeemed within. And we respond based on that covenant. We live in a way that reflects that covenant. Not because we're like equal parties with God and like keeping both sides of the agreement. He's the one that's promised it. But we respond. There's certain things that we respond. So we're going to end up in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, kind of the other end of the Bible. But... Um, I want you guys to kind of see that going in so, uh, so you can find those Easter eggs. Sound good? We're gonna, I'm going to pray. Not because we have to before a sermon, but I really want to pray. I want the Holy Spirit to really show up today because, man, just like that song we were singing. So I, love, I love when the sermon gets preached in worship. Like I was sitting there listening to the songs, the, the word that Noel shared, the, the, you know, what Travis shared. It's just, I was sitting there, I was like, this is like exactly what I was planning on teaching today. Maybe, maybe we should just skip it. Maybe I should just sit down and I can post the notes online and people can read it. But I just love it when that happens. Like that song, we lean on the promise of all that you are. We don't lean on the promise of us, you know, uh, doing it ourselves or working really hard. And if we try these three steps, then we'll finally get there. That's not the, the, the promise that we lean on. We lean on the promise of all that God is. All that God is. And we want to transfer our weight today to that. Because that's, that's, that's what hap- is happening in this new covenant. So, Holy Spirit, come. We, we love you. God, we love your word to us. I pray you'd lead us into all truth. Reveal Jesus to us. Reveal the Father to us, God. We want you. We don't want to leave here with a bunch of good notes so that we sound smarter, Lord. We want to leave with you writing something on our hearts today, God. 
And we need you to do that, Holy Spirit. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you, God, for the hope that we have in you and that you don't change. We love you, Jesus. We worship you today by looking into your word. Amen. So last week, idolatry, the, um, we, we, we saw the story of the Israelites committing spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery. By turning away from God and worshiping a cow made of metal instead of the God that brought them out of Egypt. Idolatry. We saw this, this, this really crazy story of them turning quickly from go- what God was doing it just after they made a cov- that, that God came near them with a covenant promise at Mount Sinai. It, 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 it was, they were standing there at the foot of that mountain, like seeing the promise that God made Abraham, like come to fruition. They were seeing it. God was about to give them that land that he swore to Abraham. And they said, God, we will do everything you tell us to do. Everything you tell us to do is this beautiful moment. And then they turn aside quickly and they worship a false god. They turn aside quickly and worship that golden calf, that idol. And when they do that, God responds to them with a righteous anger. He is not happy in the slightest about them. God hates idolatry. He tells, he tells Moses, I want to wipe them off the face of the earth. I'm so angry about this, I want to start over with Moses. God hates idolatry because it stands between us and him. And, he, and, and we, we, we heard how, how the fiery, committed, passionate love of God that we've received in Jesus uh, uh, is so committed, is so committed to, to God's purpose, is so committed to us being his people that nothing will ever separate us from him. Though we turn away quickly, nothing will ever separate us from the love that's in Jesus. So we saw this incident. God tells Moses then, after this happens, after this idolatry happens, he tells the people to leave Mount Sinai. He tell, he's moving them on from there. But before they can leave Mount Sinai, a couple things need to happen. A couple things need to happen because when Moses came down from the mountain, he had just like interceded, remember? He interceded to God like, don't kill them, don't kill them. Remember your promise and God relented. And then Moses steps down the mountain and he sees what they're doing, worshiping these, this idol and he's ticked. And he throws down the stone tablets that, that had, had God's law written on them and he breaks them. So one thing that needs to happen before they leave Mount Sinai is those tablets need to be remade. But more importantly, that covenant needs to be remade. It needs to be renewed. That covenant was broken. So just like those tablets of stone need to be remade, the covenant needs to be remade. So what is covenant? What is this word covenant? God talks a lot about covenant in the Bible. And really smart dudes called scholars talk even more about covenant. I'm not a scholar. This is not a sermon on covenantal theology that's just going to blow your mind. But it would help us to have some understanding of what covenant is moving forward through this story. And a lot of times we we connect covenant with promise. We kind of use those words interchangeably, right? Promise, covenant, covenant, promise. And that's, that's not a stretch by any means. But to say that a covenant is a promise is like, is like saying that a wedding is a pinky promise. I mean, they're just, they just don't compare, right? They're both, there's promises involved in both. But there's something much bigger happening at a wedding than when you pinky promise with your friend that you won't, you know, uh, hang out with those people, you know, this weekend. You'll hang out with them only. Pinky promise. 
Um, so it's not a stretch to compare it to promise. It certainly has those elements. But um, in the Bible, there's a couple kind of covenants that happen. Sometimes there's covenants that happen between people, like between people and, and each other. There's, it's, it's like two equals that are making a covenant. That's called a bilateral covenant. So, so both parties have equal responsibility right, in the covenant. Both people uh, in that covenant have equal um, privileges in that covenant. It's two equals coming together. They make a vow, a bond. But when God covenants, he doesn't covenant with equals. Who, who's equal to God, right? He doesn't come to the table to bargain. Uh, uh, God's covenant, it, it's, it's a unilateral covenant. It's, it's one way in that God initiates it, he sets the, 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 the limits of that covenant. He sets the means by which that covenant will be confirmed. He sets out the blessings. He sends out the responsibilities. And people, uh, on the, that, we receive the covenant. We don't, we don't bring anything to the table in a unilateral covenant with God. We receive the covenant. We receive certain blessings with that covenant. We receive the responsibility to obey the covenant. But we're not coming to the table to like bargain. Say, like, if you keep your end of the deal, I'll keep my end of the deal. It's, it's unilateral. God is setting the terms, and he's committed to keeping that covenant. So in this case, the case of the Israelites, the covenant that they're receiving, God has set the elements. He's confirmed it with blood. Um, if, we, if you read earlier in the book of Exodus, um, when Moses reads the law to the people, Right after that, they, they, they kill an animal. They sacrifice an animal. And Mo- Moses sprinkles the blood of that animal on the people as a way of sealing that covenant, confirming that covenant. So God has set the limits. He set the, 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 the um, elements of this covenant. But, yet the, but the Israelites don't bring anything to the table. They're not bargaining with God. They're receiving it. They're recipients of that covenant. So a covenant is a coming together. It's a bonding. Two parties coming together, uniting. And when it's God covenanting with us, we are recipients of blessings and responsibilities that come with that covenant. So they're about to leave Mount Sinai, and God tells Moses to remake the tablets. Cut new tablets out of stone, he tells Moses. And then he says, Moses, come up the mountain. Don't bring anybody with you. Come up alone and tell them to stay away from the mountain. It's looking very similar to what happened a few chapters back, right? When they, when they first encountered God and he, he, he came to them, covenanted, promised with them. It's looking very similar. Moses is going up the mountain alone. They, they're supposed to stay away. So it, um, but this is the second time it's happened. So Moses heads up the mountain. That's where we pick up in chapter 34. He's got the newly cut stone tablets ready to have God write his law on them. And we're going to start reading in verse 5 of chapter 34. So you can read with me. It should be up on the screen too, I believe. Verse 5 of chapter 34. So Moses, sorry, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. He stood with Moses. And the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head down toward the earth and worshiped. What a revelation of God. So before he renews this covenant, Moses goes up like before with tablets like before and God descends on the mountain like before, but something different happens. It says that the Lord starts proclaiming the name of the Lord. God is talking about God here. And when God talks about God, it's good for us to listen, right? Because if anybody knows God, it's God. So he proclaims the name of the Lord. He proclaims the name of the Lord as if to tell the people, look, you waver. I don't waver. You turn aside quickly. I don't turn aside You have left. I never leave. I am abounding in love and faithfulness to thousands of generations. I am faithful. I'm committed to keeping that covenant. Although you turn away, I never turn away. What a revelation of God. What a revelation of God as if to say that your only hope, Israel, your only hope for redemption It rests squarely on the unchanging character of God. That's the only place you can hope. The only place you can put your hope is on me and my character. Don't ever forget it because I keep all of my promises. I keep all of my promises. And what's crazy to me is that that God knew that he was leading these people to a promised land that was already inhabited by people. And these people worshiped other gods. So God knew they'd be tempted to turn away and worship other gods. He knew they would fail and worship other gods. So what's, what's, what's crazy to me is that, or cool, is that God's making it crystal clear. He knows where they're going. He knows they're about to face uh, temptations to continually worship idols. And he makes it crystal clear. I never go away. I, though you fail again and again and again and again, I will love and forgive again and again and again and again. I'm abounding in steadfast love. That's what he tells Moses. He comes down on the mountain. That's the first thing that God tells Moses. And you and I today, I think we're, a lot of us are staring at some pretty discouraging circumstances. We're staring at some pretty discouraging circumstances. We're caught in continual patterns of sin. We lust for things that aren't ours. We complain about that which we do have. We're impatient to our kids. We hate ourselves, so we overeat. Or we hate our bodies, so we starve them to get the attention of somebody else. Most days, we are messes. I mean, if we're honest. And most days, I feel almost suffocated because I don't see hope for anything changing. When I'm left to myself, I'm just, it it almost, it just feels like this blanket comes over me. I'm just like, I'm always going to be this way. I've been like this for 10 years, 20 years, whatever you're staring at. How am I ever going to change? What hope do I have that any of this will be different? So I, I'll, I'll, I'll read this book or that 12-step process. I'll find people to hold me accountable. I will go all uh, like introspective and like plumb the depths of my heart to find like the root of the root of the root of why I'm really sinning. 
I think that, that there's hope uh, on the horizon. Like if something changes, like if I move, something will change. Or if I get a different job, something will change. Right? Or if I have a third kid, then, then something will change. Right? We put our hope in these things that are on the horizon. What is it for you? What is it for you? Maybe it's the hope of getting married. Like once I'm married, then fill in the blank. Once I have a job that makes more than eight bucks an hour, then fill in the blank. Maybe it's th- this, this idea of like being in full-time ministry. Like once I'm paid to like read the Bible all day, then, then something will change in me, right? We all do this. We all put our hopes in things to, to, to fix us, right? What are you doing to fix yourself? What's going to fix that problem of sin in your life? What strategy are you going to employ to change those habits that you've been walking in for, for, for decades? Like what, what are the things that you're, you're putting your hope in? Maybe you're thinking uh, like, I'll just go back. I'll go back to what worked 5, 10, 15 years ago. That worked. I'll go back to what used to comfort me. I'll go back to what used to fix me, what used to feel good. I don't know what it is, but I do know we're always reaching. When, th- when we realize that things aren't right, when you realize that, that, that sin has just got your number or shame has just continued to hover on you or you continue to crumble and complain or turn aside quickly from what God said, I don't know, but I do know when we see those things, we're, we're always reaching. We always want a savior. We always want someone to rescue us when we're drowning, right? It's, it's almost like instinct. It's instinct to want to be saved, pulled out of this stuff. So what makes this so terrible, though, for me, what makes it so hard when I start thinking this way is that I know better, right? You and I know better. We know that God's good. We've probably heard that scripture before that we heard what what he told Moses. We've probably heard that God, I didn't shock any of you guys. Like, what, God's abounding in love? I probably didn't shock any of you by that. We know these things, right? We know his promises. We know he's faithful. But why isn't it changing then? Why, isn't this, why aren't things any different? I know what I'm supposed to know. Israel knew the terms of the covenant. They saw God rescue them. They saw miracles. They knew the law. God made it crystal clear how they were supposed to follow them, him what they were supposed to do in response to that. They knew those things. They, they had it down. So why then doesn't God just like copy and paste the covenant from the time before, like from two chapters, just like, okay, Moses, come up and see, just like I told you a couple, a couple chapters ago, Moses, just do this. He does, he is going to reiterate it. He's going to remind them how to worship who he is. But before he goes into the, the renewing that covenant, he, he says, you got to know me. More than having an intellectual knowledge of the covenant, of the terms, you have to know the covenant keeper. You got to know who's on the other side of that covenant promising to keep it. Even though you're not faithful, I'm faithful. You got to get this. You got to get this because you're going to turn away again and again and again. And if you don't get that I'm faithful, if you don't know that I never leave, you'll lose heart. You'll despair. So God reveals himself. That's the solution. God is saying, I am the solution. This law is good, but I am the solution. I'm the one that saves. I'm the one that rescues it. He says in verse 5 that he proclaimed the name of the Lord. He didn't proclaim the terms of the covenant again. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
He proclaimed the name of the Lord. More important for us than having an intellectual knowledge of God's presence or an intellectual understanding of his love and his faithfulness is that we have a real, intimate, life understanding of God's faithfulness. That we know, that we know, that we know that he is faithful. Even when we're not faithful. Even when things aren't right. That he is right. He's good. Our hope, our hope for redemption, guys, today, it rests only on that unchanging character of God who doesn't change and keeps all his promises. That's, our, that's your only hope for freedom. That's your only hope for renewal. So then why aren't things any different? If it's just as easy as that, then why, why can't I just say, okay, the end, have a good day? Why aren't things any different? Why, I think that if we're really honest, we struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe that God is who he says he is. Although we know that we're supposed to say it and believe it, we think, okay, if God is who he says he is, why aren't things different? Why haven't things changed? I know it. I have an understanding of it. But we gotta, we gotta just pay attention to see, do our thoughts, does my behavior, do my relationships, do my conversations reflect that God that was revealed on Mount Sinai? Because that's where we're going to really see what we really believe, the fruit that's coming from our lives. Not just an intellectual understanding. That's good to have, but that's not enough. I want to see, is the fruit coming from my life and how I'm a husband and how I'm a friend? Is it reflecting this faithful God who's committed to me for thousands of generations? I, uh, I went to, Travis and I had a meeting this week, and so, like, we're, like, the manly men that we are, we went to get frozen yogurt, um, which I found out is not cool for two dudes to do, but I like frozen yogurt. We're trying to be, make good choices, so, um, you know, you go to the, the frozen yogurt, and you're filling up the cup, and they give you, like, big cups, and then you can pile on, like, all the toppings, but then you got to pay for it, right? You got to weigh it. It's not just, like, fill this up as much as you want. It's five bucks. No. So, I'm standing in line. I'm like, okay. I went a little heavy here. <laughs> I can, you, you, you start to feel like, I don't know if I got enough cash on me to pay for this. I can't, I can't like off some toppings back either, you know. <laughs> you turn around, you start sneaking a few, like trying to lighten the load. You can't do that either. So I'm, like, I'm going to have to pay for that. So I'm getting in line. We're about to pay. Travis is paying, and he turns around and says, hey, Mike, put it on the scale. I got it. I'm going to pay for it. It's like, oh, cool. And you know what the first thing that came into my mind? I should have got more. If I, if I knew he was going to pay for it, I would have filled that thing to the top, right? I would have got another set of toppings on there. I know this has happened. You, you try to like be smart and frugal and share a burrito with your wife, and then somebody offers to pick up the tab, and you're like, could add my own burrito. Could add leftovers, right? It's like, it's like when I go to dinner with my parents. I never worry about paying for dinner. When they call me and say, hey, you want to get dinner? The translation of that is, I'm going to buy you dinner. You want to come hang out with me? It's like, yeah, absolutely. I will eat with you. I know, because I know my parents. I know they're going to pay for it. And I will offer, mom and dad, I'm a big boy now. I can pay for my own food. No, no, no. We got it, honey. Every time. Every time. So, you know what I think the trouble is for us then? Why things aren't different? Because I think... In a real way, we still think we're paying for our lives. We still think that we got to foot the bill. 
I'm still standing at that plate trying to redeem myself from the three strikeouts I had last week. I'm still trying to do it. And it's still not working. If we don't believe that God is who he says he is, if we don't believe that he'll do what he says he'll do, if we don't really know that we know that we know that he's faithful, our lives will remain full of anxiety, full of pressure, full of shame, full of exhaustion. But if we know him, if we know that he is faithful, if we know that he's picking up the bill, our lives have just opened up with all kinds of possibilities. Our lives have just completely changed. Even though a circumstance in your life might not have changed one bit, your life has opened up when you know that you're not picking up the bill. We aren't standing at that plate trying to redeem ourselves. We're not halfway filling up our yogurt, worried that we're going to have to pay. We're not afraid that at the end of this whole thing, it's, it's really going to come back on us and what we've done. When we understand who God is, we stand confident, not in ourselves, but we stand confident because we aren't paying for it. We haven't paid for it. We never will pay for it. So I don't see anything in this passage in Exodus 34 about paying. So what, what am I talking about here? What has God bought? What is he buying for us? What is he giving us? And this is when we're going to go to Hebrews, okay? Hebrews chapter 10. It's at the other end of your Bible. So it's almost to the end, almost to the book of Revelation. Not quite. It's a good-sized book for the New Testament. It's got, it's, got a, it's got a good amount of chapters in there. So the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, since we have confidence, do you hear that word? Confidence. Do you think he's going to say, since we have confidence in us, that we are so awesome and we did it, we got enough cash in our pocket to pay? No. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I'm going to pause there because the the author has just said all the things that we have confidence in and not once did he mention himself. Not once did he said, since we are so, you know, spiritual that we know the law inside and out, since we know all these things, then we can do great. No, he's pointing to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Since we have confidence in Jesus. So we got... There's something here about Jesus, right? That new covenant, that new covenant that you and I are under today. The new covenant, because at the end of Jesus' life, so he lived on earth. He had followers, disciples. At the end of his life, he's having the last, he's spending a final night with his disciples. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to die. And you know what they do together? They celebrate Passover. They celebrate Passover. They share the meal that the people of God have been sharing every year since that night that God saved Israel out of Egypt. That Passover night. They're sharing that meal together, remembering God's deliverance, remembering God's redemption. And during the meal, Jesus starts talking about covenant. He starts saying covenant, covenant, 
and they're eating Passover. So for these guys, they're, they're, they, they've, they're about to lose their leader, right? He's about to die. He's their friend, their teacher. They're sitting there in this room eating the Passover, and God like spans the expanse of time between them and that exodus migration out of Egypt and just like slams it together. They're remembering the story as they eat, and then Jesus starts talking about covenant. Their ears must have started perking up because they've had this meal every year growing up as kids, listening to dad talk about how God redeemed our people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. They heard all the time about God's covenant to Abraham. This was familiar territory for them. And here they are about to lose their leader. They're living under an oppressive Roman government eating this Passover, remembering that night that God saved his people. And then Jesus pours the wine. And he says, this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. I mean, can you just imagine the dots that start connecting for these guys? I mean, it's just like, wait, Passover, covenant, blood. Like we've heard this before, what's going on before, but he's, he's not talking about the old covenant. He's talking about the new covenant. Jeremiah talked about the new covenant that God was going to pour out. Is it, is it happening? Like, is it really happening right here at dinner? The new covenant? Because co- that, that old covenant, the covenant that God had given Abraham uh, so many years before that the prophets had reiterated that Moses had mediated for his people, that God had kept for thousands of years, is that really going away now? It's going away and there's a, a new covenant in his blood? So this, we call this night the Last Supper. The Last Supper. It's where we get this meal from that we're about to share tonight, today. The Last Supper. And Jesus, in that meal, is foreshadowing his death that's about to take place in a few days. He's foreshadowing his death. The bread is his body that's torn on the cross. The blood is his blood poured out on the cross. It's foreshadowing in a really tangible way. And it's ushering in a new covenant between God and people. A new covenant. And you know, something I love about the Bible is that the the life of Jesus, there's not just one book written on the life of Jesus. There's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's as if people, uh, you know, uh, God is saying, this Jesus guy is so important, you can't just have one take on it. I'm going to give you it four times, four perspectives on the life of Jesus. And each of those four books, they kind of bring a different element. They all talk about that Last Supper night, but they bring a different element. Matthew, in his account, Jesus is talking about a a covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant ushers in for us the forgiveness of sins. Luke and uh, Mark, they talk about, at that supper, Jesus is talking about a kingdom. A kingdom that I'm conferring to you. I'm giving you guys a kingdom. And he says, I'll never drink wine again until we drink it together in the kingdom. As if to say like, Hold on, hold on, hold out for hope. There's a kingdom that's here and there's a kingdom that's coming. And then John, John, when he talks about this, this last supper, Jesus becomes like a servant to these guys, a slave and washes their feet. Their master becomes a servant. He says, this is how you lead each other. This is how you live together. You serve each other. 
You love each other. All this is happening in that last supper when he's pouring out that and ushering in the new covenant. In this new covenant, guys, we receive forgiveness. We receive the hope of a kingdom coming. We receive each other. Like he's given us a family to be redeemed in. These are the blessings of the new covenant. So we're going to keep reading in Hebrews because there's a way to live now. There's a way that we live in light of this new covenant. So we just read, so therefore, that's an important word whenever you see therefore in the Bible, because before that therefore, there's like three or four chapters of this beautiful like pastoral uh, explanation of the old sacrificial system that the Jews uh, used, you know, and, and worshiped God through. And he, 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 he connects it all to Christ. Says, you know, like Christ is the perfect, sufficient sacrifice now. You don't need those sacrifices. And this book of Hebrews, it was written to, to, to Jews who, who came to know and worship Jesus. But what was happening for them is they were starting to miss the old ways. They were starting to miss the old sacrifices. It's, they grew up. They, they, they could see and smell and touch and know that they know that they're forgiven because they just saw that animal die for sin. And they were starting to miss it. And they're like, so now we just have to believe that Jesus is enough for us? They were kind of wanting to go back. That's why this book is written in a lot of ways. So he just outlines it, connects it all to Jesus, and then says, Therefore, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, the new and living way. It's like the new and living covenant. The old is gone. The new has come. He's opened up for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And we have great, a great high priest over the house of God. So let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. That's how we live in light of the new covenant. We draw near. We hold fast. We stir up. We draw near. We hold fast. We stir up. We don't go back to what used to work. We don't look back to ourselves to fix it. We don't redeem ourselves. We draw near. We go forward. We hold fast. We stir up love and good works. And those guys, do you see how those are connected to that new covenant that Jesus poured out? We draw near with true hearts. How else can you draw near with a true heart unless you've been forgiven? My, this is the new covenant of my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Draw near with a true heart. You're not afraid of punishment anymore. The punishment's been taken care of. You draw near. You come near to God with a true heart. You hold fast. You hold fast to that hope. Like in Mark and Luke, that a kingdom's coming. Like we have a great hope. This isn't it. Like we're not just left here to figure it out and then die and, and, and like hope that we lived a great life. No, there's a hope coming. Hold fast to that hope. Hold fast to the hope and promise of his kingdom. And stir up love, like John was saying, stir up love, serve each other, good work, serve one another, love each other. You're a family now. 
The new covenant, forgiveness. The new covenant of a new hope. The new covenant of, of one another to be redeemed within. And the, we don't do any of these, we can't do any of these things thinking that we're going to earn something if we do it. Like, if that's in our heads at all, if we think that, okay, we're gonna, I'm going to draw near. I'm going to stir up love. I'm going to tell that person that I love them. And then God might love me. If, if there's anything in us that's trying to earn something, man, it's just going to be hopeless. It's not going to be what God intended it to be. It's, it's, he's saying, like, I've paid for it. I'm buying the yogurt. You don't have to worry about that. Fill it up. Fill it up to overflowing. Draw near. Hold fast. Stir up. Don't, don't be timid. Don't hide. Don't try to protect yourself anymore because you're not going to be punished. You're not going to be punished. There is no condemnation now. There is no condemnation because of the new covenant. We can fill it up now. We can swing for the fences. We can run as far and as hard as God is allowing us to run. We're going we're gonna to lay it all on the line. And you know what? At the end of this chapter in Hebrews, what the author says, we are not those that shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back. It's like family language. It's like, hey, in this family, we don't talk like that. In this family, we don't shrink back. In this family here, we are not shrinking back. We're not going back to what used to work. We're not going to go back to trying to fix ourselves and cure ourselves from sin. It's been taken care of. We draw near. That's how we respond to the covenant. We come near. We come near to God. We hold fast. We don't let go of that hope. The kingdom is coming. He said he's coming back. He said he's preparing a place for us. And he who promised is faithful. I'm not letting go of that. We draw near and we stir up love. We don't stop meeting together. We don't, go, we don't stir up isolation or gossip or hatred. We stir up love. We serve each other because of that new covenant. And we're going to do that today at this table. We're not coming to this. This meal does not save you. If you've yet to put your hope and trust and confidence in Jesus, don't eat this meal thinking it's going to save you and fix you. That fixing, that salvation is in Jesus. Put your confidence in Jesus. If you haven't put your confidence in Jesus, today put your confidence in Jesus. Stop trying to fix yourself. Don't try to do some religious activity to try to wash away your guilt. Jesus washes away your guilt. If you need help doing that, I would love to talk to you about that. But for those of us that have put our confidence in Jesus, our confidence in that new covenant that we've been forgiven, that we've been given a hope, that we've been given each other, we're coming to this meal. We're drawing near in a real physical way. We're going to come forward. We're drawing near to God. And we're going to hold fast. We're going to take hold of that bread, dip it in that juice. We're going to hold fast. God, you're coming again. You promised and you are faithful. And we're coming to the table to stir up one another. Stir up one another love and good deeds. To not shrink back. We're not those who shrink back. We don't do that here in this family. We don't shrink back. We don't go back to hoping in ourselves. Our only hope for change, our only hope for redemption, it rests squarely on that unchanging character of God. The merciful, gracious, abounding love, committed love of God. That's where our hope is. Not in ourselves. 
And we're remembering that as we come to the table. So we're going to do that today when we're going to worship. I want to do it a little differently. Surprise, surprise. We're going to do things differently. We've always got to keep each other on our toes. I want us to come together. There's something that God is redeeming us as a family, right? He's putting us together to stir each other up. We need each other. So how we're going to do that is we're going to pray together. You're not going to come forward to receive prayer from the people up front who've been trained to do it. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to stir each other up. And this might be a huge step for some of you that want to shrink back right now. Like, no way am I opening my mouth in front of somebody and praying. I'm going to say something stupid. They're going to laugh at me. I'm not going to really be honest about how I feel, that I'm giving up hope and I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. Don't shrink back. Don't shrink back. There is grace here today for us to draw near. So I want us to, to get to know each other that we're sitting right around. Like, you already have your groups. They're right around you. Four or five people circle up. You can stand up. You can sit down, but I want you to hold hands, okay? Even if you're standing next to a guy, guys, hold their hand. It's okay. Hold on to each other and pray. Pray for God's best. Pray for his blessing. Pray for courage to not shrink back. I'm believing that the Holy Spirit is going to stir us up today. Stir us up to not shrink back. And this is a big step. I know I'm not telling you guys to do something easy, okay? Help each other out. You don't have to pray long, fancy prayers. Just pray. God, I pray for my friend here, my brother there. Pray that you would bless them with your faithfulness, God, that they would know your love. That is a really good prayer, just sufficient. So we're going to pray for each other. Jared's going to be worshiping, so it's, there'll be some background music. You guys can pray out loud. You don't have to be listening to the group behind you. Like, what are they praying about? And then we're going to come to the table. Come as a group to the table. Come receive that bread. Dip it in that juice, remembering that new covenant, the new covenant. Draw near. Hold fast. Stir up. Can we do that today? I think, I think he's worth it. I think he's worth the risk. I want to drive the car like we stole it because we did. None of us bought this car. There is not one of us here that earned it or bought it or have it on, you know, with a good solid down payment and I'm making standard payments every month. Not one of us. So let's drive it like we stole it. Risk something today. Pray for someone today. Confess that you're, you're doubting to somebody that you don't know. Like, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing what that guy's saying. That is awesome to say that. God is knitting us together. So, I know this is going to be somewhat like the prom. It's going to be a little awkward. Like, do I go forward? Do I go back? Do I go side to side? I'm trusting that God is going to show us here, okay? Try to keep the groups, you know, four or five or six. Don't get them too massive so that somebody's like, well, I don't need to pray. It's fine. You guys pray. Can we do this? Do you guys want me to pray for you right now to try to, like, give you some more time? Or can we just dive in? Okay, so the worship team's coming. Circle up. Tell each other your name. Introduce yourselves. Pray for each other. Stir one another up. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. 
Divide.